Hello from Cybrary and welcome to the show. If you've been enjoying the Cybrary podcast or 401 Access Denied, then make sure to like, follow, and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or review on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at cybrary.it. From all of us at Cybrary, thank you and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of 401 Access Tonight. Joe Carson, your host of the episode today. And I am the Chief Security Scientist and Advisory CISO here at Psychotic Centrify. And I'm really excited about today's episode. I've got a very special guest, a longtime friend, and uh, you know, used to work for many years ago. So, uh, Art, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do? And uh, then we'll get kind of into the show from there. Absolutely, Joe. It's really uh, it's great to see you again. Uh, so, hello everyone. My name is Art Gilliland. Uh, I am the CEO now of uh, Thycotic Centrify. Uh, quick background is uh, I've been in the industry now for almost twenty five years or so. Uh, worked across uh, probably almost every domain uh, except for physical security, unless you count my time as a bouncer in college. Uh, and so, uh, but I'm looking forward to uh, having a conversation, Joe. It's really good to see you again. Likewise. Uh, it's been a few years, I think, the last time we saw each other, maybe probably during a Black Hat or, or RSA event. <laughs> I, think I, think it was, I think it might have been a was... decade ago or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's probably around, I think actually it was around 2013 or 2014, yeah, around that I time. So. so it's been quite some time. Uh, but today's episode, I'm really excited because, you know, it's, a lot's happened this year. And uh, one of the things I like to do is uh, just to kind of a review and you know, what we've been seeing in the industry, uh, what's been happening in the threat landscape. Um, what types of things are happening, you know, around in cybersecurity, and then we can towards the end we'll move into a little bit more about predictions because I really, I really like to think about, you know, what's happening in the future. What do we need to think about? What threats are increasing? What's the challenges for organizations? So towards kind of the second half, we'll, we'll look for more around the prediction side of things for 2022. Um, so, so welcome again that be on the show. So one of the things for me this year, you know, of course it's been a continuous of the pandemic. Um, it's been that extension and we're really seeing, you know, the hybrid workforce, we're seeing organizations still having many employees working remotely. Um, some are trying to get the employees to come back in the office and struggling to get them to, to at least persuade them. Um, what things have you seen, you know, from the hybrid workforce, what areas of organizations been at risk and what things, you know, what, what's changed the environment, uh, for basically the working environment? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'll speak as a as a CEO of a company that's going through a lot of change. Uh, obviously, we went, we experienced not only the <laughs> COVID and all the challenges <laughs> that you have to do there, but also we we created a merger essentially of two like sized companies mm-hmm. and brought them together uh, in sort of the April timeframe this last year uh, during all of this pandemic. And I, I think one of the interesting or really complicated things as you go through that transition is. Uh, and we hear a lot about it in the news is this sort of uh, great resignation of October uh, that we're supposed to be experiencing. And I think part of the challenge for a lot of companies is uh, you, you're you seeing a lot of movement, uh, a lot of labor movements. You're seeing a lot of people move. And the challenge that we have is that you can't rebuild. It's hard to rebuild the culture that was there before, mm-hmm. because even if you let's say you lose 10 people and you hire 20 there's a bunch of new energy and a bunch of new excitement that's joining the company. Um, but the only thing that the, the team remembers is those 10 that left because they knew them already. 
Yeah. And so the that cultural transition, uh, I think, is making it very difficult uh, because we don't see each other. We don't hang out by the lunch station. We don't we don't get to interact. And so even though there's a lot of new excitement, a lot mm -hmm. of new people joining the companies, um, the the memory is only of the people that left. And so it's it's hard to sort of rebuild in this in this remote world. And I think the reality is that we are going to be remote uh, yeah. for a long time. I uh, I'm in the office today. I like being in the office, but I only want to be in the office two, three days a week. I'm not going to be here every day. Uh, and, and I think that's just going to be the norm, uh, as we go forward. Um, and, and we're just going to have to figure out how to manage through that. Absolutely. And one of the things I've seen is, you know, even where people's investing, you know, in their personal side of things, they're actually investing in home offices. They're investing yep. in making their home much more enjoyable place to work. Because um, I, I mean, I've been working remotely for 15, 15 years. Now. So <laughs> you were an early adopter. I was an early adopter. Um, <laughs> yeah. And one, one thing I find was that, you know, for me to switch um, you know, during that time where, you know, not being in the office, because you know, I was really in the office in the first place. Yeah. Um, I was always on the road. So for me, the biggest impact was not seeing my colleagues um, yeah. in face-to-face, -face, not traveling to events, not speaking, doing speaking engagements. For, for me, that was a big change. Yeah. But one thing is definitely is, is working from home in a pandemic. It's not you know, just you working from home. It's everybody. It's your family. The kids are stuck at home. And that becomes it's, – it's more that you're finding that place in your home to work that is quiet, um, even for myself, even doing things like the podcasts and webinars and right. even moving to speaking at digital events, which has interestingly where I used to maybe do about 40 in-person events per year. Now I'm doing about 70 to 80 digital events per year because <laughs> yeah. there's none of that travel time. Um, so for you, I mean, how has it impacted you having to work from home, um, also you know, with kids and family and everyone around? Um, yeah, how, I mean, how has that changed? Yeah, I, th I think the uh, there, I think there's positives and negatives, right? So mm -hmm. I think the definitely the positive is I am uh, available and around, and so my dog is super happy, and uh, <laughs> and I, I think there's some some goodness uh, some goodness there. I think you know a lot of us deal with the fact that working from home, a lot of people just hear home, they don't hear mm -hmm. the working part of it, and so you there's a lot of interrupts that happen. Yeah, um, but that's true at the office too, uh, and so you, you deal with that. I mean, I think. Uh, it's it's good now that my kids are back in school and things are sort of returning to somewhat normal mm -hmm. uh, in sort of the day to day. Um, but to be fair, I I enjoy the remote work also. I think the yeah. ability to be efficient and see customers all over the world at in one day. Um, mm -hmm. because if I was going to see customers in Singapore, I'd have to fly to Singapore mm -hmm. to see them, to interact with them, just because there wasn't a comfort, a global comfort with being on video. Yeah. Um, and, and look, if there's an upside and I'm, I'm sure we'll be able to highlight quite a few upsides from the terribleness of the mm -hmm. pandemic, it's that this transition is enabled us to just be way more effective at, at yeah. building relationships and interacting and and conducting business remotely, mm -hmm. uh, which has again made the world a little smaller and a little closer uh, for people like myself that used to have to fly all over. Yeah. Um, and so now I can have a meeting in Singapore, I can have a meeting in London, and I can have a meeting in New York, and I can be home for dinner. Um, and I think that's, that's just good and healthy.
And I thought, you know, it's, you know, even for me who traveled a lot and like yourself, you know, trying to stay healthy while traveling uh, was also challenging. Um, yeah. I'm I really, not sure COVID has made me healthier. <laughs> I think I've been drinking and eating more. <laughs> it depends, depends. For some, it, it's been good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the one thing, one thing I did find challenging as well, you know, doing these digital events, though, is that when, when you were traveling, you would be in the same time zone as the person you're meeting. And you would, you know, you would get over the, the, you know, the struggle basically of the time difference and, and jet lag. But for now, is that you know, I would be attending, for example, you know, Black Hat recently, and yeah. I would have to be spending, you know, 10 p.m. till three in the morning to attend those events if you're attending live sessions. So, so there's those some, you know, yeah, that's not pros awesome. and cons. So. Uh, that, that's definitely not awesome. And look, I think there's there's also just not being able to shake people's hand. I mean, yeah. we are a social being uh, as well. And so even if you're an introvert, it's nice to actually interact with people <laughs> every now and then. Um, and so I think uh, there's some level of excitement mm -hmm. about being able to start and meet in person. I mean, I've, uh, over the last couple months, I've started traveling more to see customers mm -hmm. and customers are more comfortable inviting you in to yeah. their offices. Um, and that's been amazing i mean it's been great yeah. and like the level of excitement <laughs> to have a business meeting is is really gone through the roof what's, um, what's been yeah what's been interesting though is, is some of the events i've attended recently so absolutely even in, in eu we've been having much more yeah. freedom of movement and uh, yeah of course and going to events has been interesting because you've got you know now different people at events who's don't touch me stay two meters apart you know you've yeah. got those who are like we'll do fist pumps or yeah. you know was it all oh, we'll just you know was it kick each other in the food? There, there's definitely a, an awkwardness in the introduction. It's like, okay, are we shaking hands? Are we fist bumping? Are you doing a lot of this kind of, I don't know what to do. Yeah, you don't, you, you know, your, hand, your hands. You don't, you don't really know what to do. I've, I've had situations where, where you're, you're, you're grabbing someone's fist. When they're fist bump. And you're, yeah, of awkward, awkward moments. But absolutely. I think one, one thing, though, is that you know, we've seen this, you know, I think working remotely and being more flexible is something we've been doing for a long time. And I, I really, yeah. there's a great book that I read years ago, which was uh, a guy called Aid, Aid McCormick, who really seen that we're kind of moving to this direction anyway. And we've yeah. seen, you know, from the times of uh, mobility to greater connectivity to uh, BYOD, and I even call it, you know, bring your own office now as that employee. I mean, most employees have probably never, you know, who's just changed positions in the past year or a little bit longer, have never been to the office. They've never been to. The, they probably haven't even right. seen their colleagues. Um, well, we did this whole deal, and I and I never met. Uh, I never met the opposing team yeah. face to face. I mean, we were on video the entire time, and we did a you know the one point three billion dollar acquisition of Phycotic. And <laughs> <laughs> the reality <laughs> is, uh, Jim uh, Legg, who is the CEO of that company, and I never had, <laughs> never met. We didn't actually meet until like almost three months ago. Two months that's, ago. That's impressive. Uh, but how, how we can do business today? <laughs> it is. Uh, it, it is. It is kind of, uh, of interesting. I mean, look. That's that's part of the that's part of the the transition that that we're uh, that we're working through. Yeah. And and also, you know, a lot of this introduces new threat landscape. A lot of organizations in the past, you know, even yeah. even the past twelve months have seen right. you know the, the challenges of supply chains and the risks uh, where we're seeing even even till today. There's major supply chain challenges and either shortages of uh, of electronics and chips. Um, yeah. We've also seen challenges of logistics and moving things around. We've seen attackers take advantage uh, of supply chains as well. Um, even bringing, you know, some countries into, you know, basically some type of chaos, whether it being shortage of fuel or shortage yeah. of, uh, uh, you know, goods in the shop. 
Um, what challenges do you see? What risks are organizations facing as a result of you know the change in the environment? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it's. Uh, I think the biggest challenge we've had is just the lack of real ability to understand mm -hmm. if the people that are logging in and accessing the things you need to are the right people, um, and also the security mm -hmm. of this of the location where they're working. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can. It's not like it was perfect before, um, but at least it was somewhat understood and controlled when you're in the office connecting there's a way to sort of correlate should this person have access to these sensitive <laughs> systems and literally overnight uh over uh, you know almost like a couple weeks time companies were having to figure out how to open their environments to the outside mm -hmm. world and let people log in um and so i think that uh that has just it's mm -hmm. opened up the aperture for avenues for the adversary to attack us um, and so they, we've had to become a lot smarter at uh, authentication of the mm -hmm. people. And as they come in, what authorization should they have? What access should they have? Um, <clears throat> I think companies have had to figure out how to control sort of the, the blast radiuses internally. Yeah. And so, okay, this person might have gotten in. They might want to do bad stuff. But how do I at least contain the damage into mm -hmm. certain areas? Um you know, and some companies have accelerated that investment and that skill set uh, significantly, and some of them have not. And and I think that's uh, that complexity that's been mm -hmm. added to the environments just makes it harder. Um, and I think Absolutely. that's the it, that would probably be the the biggest thing that I've seen is just the added complexity, the increase of the number of connections from the outside world. The, mm -hmm. the fact that workers are literally exploding into uh, other locations. And so even trying to figure out <laughs> where your workers are coming from has become more complicated, especially for the super large global mm -hmm. enterprises now. Uh, people are all working from home. Yeah. Um, and then you have these home environments. Uh, now, of course, you know, some of us ha have the luxury of having, you know, a much more secure home environment mm -hmm. and, you know, high bandwidth and all of those other things, but that's not true globally. Yep. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, you know, we did, we did a network here. There's a bunch of stuff going on in your house that, that corporations just would not allow. Yeah, uh, we, did, we did some research late last year. Uh, so yeah. every year uh, we do some basically CISO research. And yep. last year was about looking at, you know, in, from an employee perspective, and it was always the balance between productivity and security. It was really interesting that, you know, their fear, uh, employees working remotely, was actually, you know, the, the connectivity and bandwidth problems. Because as you say, not everyone has the same internet speeds. If you're in, especially in a rural location, you yeah. might have really, you know, how many times have somebody had to, during a video call, turn off the video because it was disrupting the actual audio feed. Um, so we're starting to see some of the challenges and also employees, you know, they're at more risk as well because they, they want to get their job done. They're, they're measured on how well they do their job, not how secure they are, but how well they do the job. Yeah. And during that research, we find that employees were willing to take risks to get the job done. And if that meant sharing a password over a basically unsecured channel, like such as social media or even email yeah. or some type of messaging tool, they were willing to do that in order to make sure that somebody could access the application to get the job done. Yeah. Um, and organizations no longer have that solid visibility. If employees were doing that in the office, they could see that happening. But they're yeah. not, you know, yeah, I, I was called, you know, we, we talk about this is that really what, you know, now organizations, their corporate networks is the public internet. 
it's basically that's the means of communication. That's where all the internet, you know, communications is happening. That's where employees are working. Um, and now you have to change the way you do security. You can't rely on that perimeter firewalls managed network anymore. We have to move to a way that what can we do? And this is where I really think that organizations who, in the past year, they've accelerated their move to cloud um, to to kind of manage this hybrid workforce and working remotely. Uh, but at the same time, um, this has opened up a major challenge because now they've got all these different types of you know complexities and less visibility into those complexities. Um, yeah, it's really the behavioral complexity that you're talking about. And then there's yep. just the connection and the connectivity and the, 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 the fact that their systems are being accessed from everywhere. Absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, two years in now, I think companies have bought and built and tried to create more of that infrastructure. But over the last year and mm-hmm. a half, <laughs> they were all scrambling to try to do it. So it's, yep. uh, I think that's been, um, that that's definitely been disruptive and you see mm-hmm. more uh, more of that challenge. Um, I, I think the upside for it is uh, just the level of security awareness that mm-hmm. has gone into uh, the depths. And at the highest end of most sophisticated enterprises, they, they've been paying attention to this for a long time because mm-hmm. uh, they have the resources to be, mm-hmm. to have the luxury to do that. I think what I, we've seen more in the more recent past is that the, the sort of that mid-market, that upper mm-hmm. mid-market of the, the company sizes uh, have just invested a lot more of their energy and their IQ into, okay, how do I, how do I operate in this new world where you know, mm-hmm. digitally or otherwise I might be more vulnerable? And I think that's been a, that's been a big, uh, obviously a big uplift to the, to the security vendor industry, but also mm-hmm. just I think it's better for society if the companies are taking it more seriously. Absolutely. And this kind of takes me to one of the areas I've seen and, you know, is that I always look at what, what, what do you, you know, as you are doing that digital transformation, you're accelerating to cloud. And I've seen a lot of organizations as well where they've simply opened up, you know, to, to keep their employees productive. They've opened up RDP to the public internet and still only being protected with a simple password to allow accountants and other employees to do work. Yeah, not and awesome. It's, it's not. And, and I've seen, you know, from a result, of, I've seen companies become victim of ransomware. Um, and we've seen, you know, yeah. in the past couple of years, cyber criminals, they're, they're really specializing. They're, they're not trying to be, you know, the jack of all trades. They're not trying to do everything. What they're saying is, I'm going to specialize. And if I'm a, a specializing encryptor, I'm not going to use it. I'm going to make it an affiliate program, just like a channel. Yeah. And I'm going to give it to people. Exactly. And that's what we saw recently with the Revo, uh, uh criminal guy, basically, where we're seeing some of their affiliates being arrested uh, yeah. through coordinated uh, police efforts. So, you know, how, how much of the specialization are we going to continue seeing? You know, what's... Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's, there's so much money being made mm-hmm. now in, in that part of the world. I mean, as our lives went digital, uh, all of our mm-hmm. sort of financial also elements went digital. And so crime just followed it. Yep. And I think what we're seeing is uh, that it's a marketplace. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as a, as an entity, as a company, we're, <laughs> we're kind of fight, fighting against mm-hmm. market forces here. And so, yeah, I'll hire, let's say we hire five to 10 people on our, mm-hmm. on a company, our size, we're about a thousand employees. We probably have about that many working on our security infrastructure. Um, the, the reality is, is my 10 folks cannot compete against uh, a marketplace where every single step of the attack chain is being specialized. And yeah. so literally my person who's trying to protect us is competing against someone who's the best in the world at that one thing. <laughs> yes. uh, 
uh, and they're monetizing that mm-hmm. skill set as they should. I mean, yeah. <laughs> these, and you see some vertically integrated, some you know, adversaries, typically government, you know, entities mm-hmm. or the true cyber criminal gangs. But in general, it's a marketplace, and even like you, you see it even show up in some of the nation mm-hmm. state sponsored attacks. They're using just off-the-shelf tools to gain yeah. access or do research or whatever step they want to augment in the in their own attack chain. Absolutely, and even nation states, even nation states that are they're starting, you know, they use mercenaries, uh, cyber mercenaries. So I mean, you that's, know, it's, that was true in like the spy world, <laughs> and now it's true in the cyber spy world. Yeah, right. So they just they're just we, we, will let you, we will let you carry out your criminal activity. Exactly. Uh, and profit from it as long as you do some work for us, as long as you, right. as long as you give us some favors back. And it also and keeps that attribution side of things more difficult. How can how can attribute it really people? hard? Yeah, yeah, it's it makes it really hard. So, um, and one of one of the things as well is just in addition to that, um, I read a fantastic article article recently. You know, as we were talking about the supply chain, you've got those yeah. who specializing in creating the crypto, those who specialize in gaining the access and selling the access. You've got those yeah. who even help desk. So, you know, we, we will give you the help desk to help, to help you know, communicate uh, with the victims because you may not be in the same language. You may not be yeah. in the same time zone. Um, yeah. So we'll facilitate that for you. Um, so there's this whole production line of criminal activities and expertise, such as, you know, the criminal marketplace. The one I recently read, which was really interesting, which was an article from Joseph Cox um, on Vice and Motherboard. And he introduced basically a new element where basically, because not all criminals may not be native English speakers. And one of the best ways to gain access to organizations is through social engineering. And what you're now starting to see is basically social engineering through basically voice bots. So we've had DDoS bots, we've had, you know, different types of bots, uh, whether it being, you know, denial of service, whether it being access bots or, you know, deployment. Um, We're now seeing voice bots which are providing basically automated voice. Automated trans, uh, translation or uh, being able to, yeah, so they can they, they can access more of the world. <laughs> Absolutely. And and it's, there is a service. You can go and buy it online. You can, you know, enter your own text in. And the thing is, is that, you know, the challenge is that in the industry, you know, organizations have went that way to do their basically automation. So for people to receive a social engineering voice bot, it's not yeah. uncommon for them to get something, you know, in a traditional kind of organization. And it's so authentic sounding. These things are yeah. really putting the fear sure. that your account has been compromised. Uh, make sure that, you know, uh, you know, to verify, uh, to stop this financial transaction from happening, uh, yeah. please basically enter one, put in your two-second factor authentication pin, and we'll prevent that from transaction from happening. But in the background, what they're really doing is stealing their 2FA code. Yeah. So. It's, I mean, look, it's the, the social engineering mm-hmm. has just become more, more extreme as it's professionalized, right? Yeah. They're, just, they're just better and better at it. I mean, I think one, one of the things that I, I find interesting about this is obviously there's a lot of discussions around, you know, what are the, mm-hmm. what are the major economies going to do about it? You know, how do we create a treaty with Russia and China yeah. and, and others? And that may be possible. Um, I, I'm uh, somewhat skeptical because we've been spying <laughs> on each other for centuries, and I think that's going to continue. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the the thing that cyber has done is it kind of levels the geopolitical mm-hmm. landscape a little more um, because it used to be that only wealthy companies had the ability to invest in the the sort of uh, makings of war. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but now you don't have that. Uh, you don't have that same 
uh, hurdle. You don't have to spend billions and billions of dollars to become effective cyber uh, a cyber force. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I think it's it's going to change sort of the geopolitical landscape and give you know I would say poorer countries that. Uh, mm-hmm. may or may not have the same uh, heft in uh, negotiating in in the other way, just a lot more, a lot a lot larger seat at the table. And so Absolutely. it's going to be an interesting, uh, it, it just changes the dynamics, right? And yeah. so even if we can agree with China and Russia and, and, and others around sort of what the rules of cyber are going to be, uh, it doesn't mean we're going to be able to convince North Korea or convince Iran mm-hmm. or convince Turkey or uh, or African countries that may invest further in this capability, uh, what they should or shouldn't do in the cyberscape um, as they try to fight for resources. And so it's going to be, uh, I think that's going to, it's going to make the the world that we mm-hmm. uh, engage in just a lot more diverse in how we think about, you know, trying to do treaties and trying to do uh, cyber crime fighting and, and, mm-hmm. and managing cyber criminals. Absolutely. And that's kind of one of, one of the things I'm, I'm always worried about is that, We've seen so much uptake in, you know, those cyber mercenaries and cyber, you know, organized crime who are attacking from countries uh, yeah. where there's no, let's say, legal boundaries. There's no, you know, basically collaboration or transparency. And yeah. what we started seeing is for countries to try and defend themselves, they're not investing in cyber offensive capabilities. Yeah. And this is where you start getting into, well, you know, who, who, who is it okay to attack back? When is it okay to do offensive attacking? And for me, it's always a concern. We've seen a lot of countries, um, and it's it's clear that one is you know no country can do this alone. It must be a collaborative, you know, working together, transparent, you know, you know, effort uh, to hold countries who are providing safe havens for cyber criminals to make sure that there's less places for them to operate from. Um, so what we're seeing around regulations or you know new compliances that are really trying to move this direction. We've seen a lot of things like. EU GDPR, we've seen Cyber Essentials, we've seen right. uh, NIST, we've seen you know the recent executive order um, from the administration in the US uh, really starting to take a, a, a kind of hard line against cyber attacks. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I think there's, there's kind of stages that they're going through. One is they're pushing that responsibility on us as enterprises to uh, take it seriously and invest. And, you know, the, the risk mm-hmm. trade-off that we would have taken before they're just essentially making it cost more if we don't follow through on the on our duty <laughs> uh and so there's some element of increasing the the bar um mm. I, i've never been a huge fan of regulation primarily because it's just a bar and people think yep. once they're there they're safe like i had pci or i had gdpr <laughs> and the reality is is it essentially is the low bar insecurity yep. and so you've reached that and uh if you think you're done at that point i think it's it's a fallacy yeah. um it's a checkpoint so check measurement sort of, of time it's just a point of measurement yeah. and it definitely brings the whole industry up a bit um but it's still a low bar yeah it's um, like it's like you know you it's like taking one measurement of the temperature per year and then trying to predict you know what yeah. the weather's going to be like all year round uh, exactly. what what's, what clothing should you wear in winter have you taken a temperature reading in the summer it's gonna be different right. but, I think it's it's positive, and we, we need to do that. But I also think there does need to be more uh, government-specific action to protect our environments, protect the uh, the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if if a foreign country blew up a oil refinery, yeah. like physically blew up an oil refinery, uh, planes would be flying and bombs would be dropping. 
but when you blow up uh you know global transit like mm -hmm. the cyber crime that that took down Merck mm -hmm. uh, or Maersk sorry Maersk, yeah, Maersk. Maersk. Yeah. uh it, it, what happened like <laughs> I, I and, and so there's nothing for it, months <laughs> no, nothing and 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 candidly you know did the did uh did the countries uh that were dependent mm -hmm. on that sort of react in a in an aggressive manner back, I, I think it's, uh, it's hard to tell. Yeah. Um, and I think that that lack of um, consequence makes it very difficult mm -hmm. to deter the behavior, yeah. um, which is why I think cybercrime is so rampant also is, mm -hmm. you know, if you can sit in your basement and in your PJs and, and <laughs> make $500,000 in 10 minutes, and the, the risk of having somebody bust down mm -hmm. the door is minimal. Um, I think that it, it just creates incentive in particular in some of the countries that don't have the economic uh, uh, opportunities that, that, uh, mm -hmm. that others might have. I mean, that it's, it, it's, it's almost, um, it's almost unavoidable. Yeah. And so I just want to kind of, uh, I mean, I want to move into a little bit more of the prediction side of things. So, yeah, of one, so one of the things, you know, we talked a bit about identity and as organizations struggling with the whole BYOD side of things. And, and one yeah. thing that I've seen is I always try to look at um, you know, what things do you still have control of? What are the, what are the artifacts of the assets and resources? As more employees are using their home networks and using their, you know, BYOD devices, they might get an alliance to buy a device, but you may struggle to manage it, or you might be trying, you might be partially managing it. So for me, you know, when I really look at this and, and it kind of brings me back to even Estonia, because in Estonia, we, basically from the ground up, we, you know, we built a society around a digital identity. Digital yeah. identity is the common piece that basically brings all of society here together. It's how we basically do voting. It's how we pay taxes. It's how yeah. we use public transportation to loyalty cards. It's all tied to that. So for me, identity is where organizations still have control of, whether it's on-premise, cloud, BYOD, SaaS, um, yeah. developers, third-party contractors, you know, full-time employees. And then the thing, that, the security control is the access to that. Um, so for me, I really see identity as being the new perimeters, the perimeter we still can control and access is where you apply the security controls to. Um, yeah. What's your thoughts around you know, identity being that perimeter and security being Yeah, I mean, stuff? it's, we're hearkening back to the Jericho Forum, yeah. obviously. The firewall is dead, long live the <laughs> firewall. Um, it, you know, look, I, uh, I, I am a believer. Mm -hmm. uh, when, I, when I started looking at what spaces in security that I mm -hmm. wanted to work in next, uh, I think there, there are two that I think are, super interesting for me personally. Uh, one of them is in identity security and the other is information security. So almost mm -hmm. like DLP V2, if you will. Yeah. Um, and I think the reason that I think those are the most interesting personally is uh, as more and more of our companies and our customers' infrastructure goes into mm -hmm. cloud and or SaaS, um, we are essentially operating our entire business in someone else's infrastructure. <laughs> Um, and so if you look at uh, Thycotic Centrify, for example, our front-end CRM system is Salesforce, our financial mm -hmm. ERP system is NetSuite, our, uh, our HR system is Workday. And so almost all of my core business processes are mm -hmm. operating in someone else's infrastructure, in someone else's application. And the only things that are mine, quote unquote, in that mm -hmm. are my users, whether those users are people or machines. 
mm-hmm. and my information that's there. Yep. And so the the place where I am going to be able to enforce policy, my own policy, I have to accept their policies, but where mm-hmm. I'm going to be able to enforce my own policies are on who my users are and what they have access and uh, authorization yep. to, to, to see and do, and then the information and what is allowed to happen to it. Yep. And so I am a strong buyer of that, mm-hmm. you know, whether that's going to be the tipping point next year or over the next sort of five years, I think that horizon is coming to all companies uh, mm-hmm. over time. And look, there's, we're going to be in a hybrid world where there'll be some infrastructure on premise and some in the cloud. And, and we're going to find some equilibrium behind that just because of efficiencies and cost and other things. Mm-hmm. Um, but the likelihood that more and more of our policy enforcement is moving towards your users and what they should have rights to do uh, mm-hmm. is inevitable. Uh, yeah. And so I, I am a, a huge believer in that. It doesn't mean that firewalls will completely disappear, but their their functionality, the, the value that they provide, will change, and the, yeah, value, the value that they yeah. provide, even the value they provide now, mm-hmm. is uh, is de minimis yeah. because of how many connections need to come in. It's the same it's same with VPNs. We've had this big discussion. You know, people have been saying VPNs are dead. And I'm like, no, the, the use case is different. It's it's no longer about giving you access to a specific yeah. network. It's about you know providing privacy to the communications that you have as well. Um, it's about providing some type of control over basically the flow of data. So you know, I think you know we have to change and look at you know that that the yeah. the values might be slightly different and the use cases becoming different as well um, yeah, to I mean, what they were. I, I think that's originally. right. And you have to be able to watch that data. You yeah. still need a place to enforce it, but that mm-hmm. place has to be separate from the location that yeah. you sit at, right? And so. Is it a new kind of, you know, gateway mm-hmm. or uh, policy enforcement location? Because you used to have to enforce it on the endpoint. You still have mm-hmm. to have those physical locations. That sometimes that physical location yeah. is just <laughs> sitting in Amazon with with somebody else's uh, application. Yeah, someone uh, else's someone else's hardware. You're just renting and, renting the it, computer. It's power. totally that, and someone else's <laughs> application, whether it's yeah. a CASB or a proxy. I think it's unlikely to be a firewall, yeah. but it. But architecturally, it'll probably yeah. be one of those. That was an two. interesting one here in Estonia because we had that challenge post two thousand seven, uh, where it ended up becoming uh, the was the data embassy uh, became the new concept because Estonia didn't want their sovereign data of the you know citizens being in someone else's geographical uh, location, and yeah. that what became the, the data embassy. What what's your thoughts on um, you know you talked about the Jericho form? And I've had tons of you know, like decentralized identity and all of those things, yeah. you know, and we've had, you know, in the past with the, you know, from the Jericho forum, we've had a lot of discussion around things like you bring your own identity, the organization yeah. will provide you entitlement uh, to the identity you're bringing. And it's a bit like what we're seeing today where application identities and passwords, you, you, it'll have single sign-on and then that yep. will be basically entitled. And then the org- all the organization provides basically is authorization and access. Um, to, yeah. to specific uh, data. Your thoughts around kind of bring your own identity or... Yeah, I mean, I, look, I, 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 love, I love the concept of it. Uh, yeah. I, I love the idea of it. I think the challenge is who's going to own it. Yeah. Right? And I think you see a battle for it today in the enterprise. And, I, and actually, Microsoft, uh, a long time ago, if you remember, mm-hmm. almost a decade ago, they came out with Passport. Um, and and what that really was in my opinion was an attempt to create individual identities that then you could federate you could Mm -hmm. use them you could bring your own and you could have a passport Uh, and you see facebook and google and others that have sort of this user 
mm -hmm. uh, idea or Art Gilliland's identity and then allows me to log in to other places. And so yep. I think there's kind of a, there, there is an attempt to sort of build out that. Uh, mm -hmm. And, and I think Passport was a failed attempt at that. Uh, but, yep. you know, I think AD, you know, Azure AD is probably a more mature, uh, better option uh, for Absolutely. companies. And so whether it's Azure AD or Okta or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the, the new auth uh, kind of open source model that allows you to have your own identity. Mm -hmm. I, I think at some point it becomes necessary. Yeah. I, I don't, I think it's, I think we're at, at least a decade, uh, at okay. least away from it. Yeah, um, I think the, the challenge is always going to be who who maintains the root of trust. It's who, always who has, yeah. Who has the who has the root? Is it Microsoft? Yeah. Is it Okta? Is it Google? Is it Facebook? Yeah. Um, and then how trusted is that identity? If you're Goldman Sachs or you're uh, you know uh, Santander Bank, yeah. Do you do you, uh, do you come in at the same level? Yeah. yeah, you come at the same level, or do you need to level up, providing more security controls depending on the type of data you're accessing? Yeah. So. And and maybe maybe Joe, what it what happens is you bring sort of your base Art Gilliland identity, mm -hmm. and then you get re-verified at your place of yep. work, mm -hmm. um, and then you add on privileges that you have to do a second factor yeah. for. Which is what which is what happens here in Estonia. That's exactly yeah. if you you log into the bank and you want to let's say right. move across to the tax authority system. Um, using that same login, you might have to level up depending on what you're accessing. If it's just view, yeah. it might be okay. But if you want to change something, you'll have to provide more security controls. So, yeah. and I look at, I think what we're going to need is mm -hmm. just stronger levels of escalation and yeah. open source around that. Whether it's it's maybe it's SAML two, maybe it's OAuth, mm -hmm. whatever uh, standards that we can do. Because otherwise, you can't do uh, single sign on across <laughs> entities because <laughs> yeah. there has to be some credential pass. Yeah, there has uh, to be some type of authentication exchange. Again, yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, you're you're doing it again. And look, I think OAuth is probably a good one. I think SAML two maybe because yeah. uh, it lets you see levels of authorization, so it's not just on off. Um, again, we'll see. Yeah. So absolutely. So I want to move to my next prediction. Um, my next yeah. prediction is around uh, hacking esports. So <laughs> I I find it really interesting. We've seen a lot of you know the gamification of hacking. Yeah. Uh, turning into there's a lot of gamification uh, platforms where you yeah. can actually go and you can do capture the flag events, you can do educational learning. Right. I think it's a great way for people who want to get into the industry to ramp up their skills and to learn you know new techniques. But what's really happened? I think it was around you know the past year I attended a couple of events um, and one I attended earlier this year was KernelCon, which was for me was amazing because what they really did was they really launched the idea of hacking esports. That you will spend. You know, I, I sat. I sat for probably a day watching the likes of John Hammond and uh, Joe Grant um, yeah. and others and friends, basically just hacking uh, and watching them hacking. And you know, of course, it was in a gaming, you know, gamification style. Um, yeah. What's your thoughts on you know this becoming a, a, a esports world? Actually, people, you know, just like you have US UFC, Ultra, you know, Fighting Champion, and, and other boxing. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that? Do you think that in the near future this will become you know just like gaming has with streaming, will become a? a, a I mean, look, I, my uh, I have I have fifteen year old twins, uh, and it's amazing to me how long they'll sit on YouTube and watch someone else play video games. Yeah. Um, and you know it's changed a little bit now, but when my son was like ten, uh, like, holy cow, 
uh, he, I think he could spend hours watching, you know, somebody else play a video game. Uh, it's possible. Look, I, I, I can't think of anything more, uh, more boring. Uh, they're going to find a way to sex it up a bit to make it really interesting, uh, to watch, but I have hosted and, and participated in capture flag kinds of events and sort of war gamey kinds of things or hackathons. Um, and, uh, and it's inevitable that uh, people that are excellent at that uh, aren't mm -hmm. going to be sort of glorified, right? And so there are yeah. some sort of big names out there, people that they would just love to watch them work and watch them go. Mm -hmm. I think there's the technical aspect of it. But as you know, a lot of like really qu high quality hackers are just great social engineers and they yeah. just are good at managing human nature. Um, and so if you can find a way, uh, to, mm -hmm. to sort of create a game around that and create some sort of excitement tension that people will want to watch, I think it's, it's such a big part of society now. I think it's inevitable mm -hmm. that they'll find a way to sort of turn it into, you know, we, we watch the bachelor, we watch survivor, yeah. <laughs> we're going to watch, you know, some sort of hacking, hacking for live hacking where, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the geeks inherit the earth and, and we're starting to, to make, you know, multimillionaires out of, you know, television personalities that are hacking for, for a living. Absolutely. I've started, you know, even myself, I follow quite a few of them just to kind of keep my skills fresh and I'm what, you know, watching and learning. And I find yeah. it fascinating. You know, I think the one, you know, watching Joe Grant, who, you know, we know yeah. for years that, um, yeah, yeah just watching him doing hardware hacking and just kind of his thought process and seeing what he was doing was so fascinating. Um, so what me, I think is yeah. so amazing about these folks is they just understand how the system works so well yeah. that they can identify the potential places for risk mm -hmm. uh, just because they're so deep in how the process works. Yeah. Um, and look, I mean, some, these folks are geniuses in general. Uh, mm -hmm. and their, their knowledge of a domain, a specific domain, you know, even the 15 and, and 18 year olds that they're just the depth of their knowledge of how networking yeah. works or how these hardware systems work or how just software works in general mm -hmm. is, is truly extraordinary. Um, and so I think from that perspective, uh, you know, there'll be people like you and me that are geeks for the space and love it, <laughs> that, <laughs> that are like just just uh, overly impressed with them uh, because of just how extraordinary they are. Yeah. Uh, but I also, uh, you know, they'll it, it's it's possible. I, mm -hmm. I don't think I'm going to be watching it on uh, on ESPN, but uh, but maybe <laughs> you, you might you might be surprised. <laughs> so. I might I look at maybe. <laughs> It's amazing to me that uh, that people will watch, you know, the the the, you know, the, the secret singer or whatever that uh, whatever that crazy show is, where you get famous mm -hmm. singers that put these big stupid costumes on. Yeah, people I mean, watch it. Been people, you know, it's been popular here in Estonia. People's watching it, so and I, I can relate. You know, my son as well. He will watch hours of just watching others playing Minecraft or you know other yeah, games, and, exactly. And it's just exactly. fascinating. Um, one of the next predictions I've got, as well as around zero trust, we've seen a lot of um, you know from the executive order. We've seen a lot of emphasis. And I think everyone has different opinions of what zero trust is. Yeah. And for me, one one thing it kind of it's for I've kind of you know it's not something if somebody can just simply install a piece of software that says zero trust and you're done. It's not something that you simply check off or you're finished with. And I listened to I was at EIC a few months ago and I listened to uh, Brian from Yahoo and he he mentioned the best term that you know I was just sitting back I was doing a QA and he said zero trust it's 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 basically it's a mindset and how you wish to operate your business. 
It's something yeah. you, you go on that journey. It's 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 how you practice security. It's not that you put right. it in places of control. It's how you practice it. Uh, what's your thoughts around your? I think zero trust will become a, a more focused topic in 2022. But what's your thoughts around uh, that area? Yeah, I mean, look, I think zero trust is going to become a, a, a security norm, just like mm-hmm. defense in depth became a security norm. Um, and it'll mean a bunch of different things uh, for for the companies. But I, I, I would agree. I, I would agree with Brian that, look, mm-hmm. it, what it is, is it's a it's a way of uh, having your environment work. It's a way of sort of believing and, and sort of philosophy philosophy of what you want to try to do. And it's an embracing of essentially least privilege, this idea that you want people to have access to what they deserve to have access Mm to and nothing more. Um, I think think that the trick for all of this is how do you make that as seamless as possible? Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you make it a curated experience for your employee to say, okay, welcome in the front door, Mr. Employee, after (laughs) you've said who you are. And then the hallways that you're allowed to go down and that you're all, and the rooms you're allowed to go in are just open for you. And it feels like you have freedom to move mm-hmm. around, but your environment is curated. Yep. Um, and then if somebody different comes in, their environment and the same sort of structure mm-hmm. is just different. They have a different pathway and in different rooms they yep. can go in because of their rights. But you have to, you have to be able to make it that seamless mm-hmm. uh, over time. I think that's the yep. directional vision. The, how, you, um, how you automate as much as you possibly can. Uh, yeah, and, I, and I, how do you know uh, what those pathways should be? I think the biggest challenge is, you know, we've had mm-hmm. this sort of rules-based access. We've had a lot of these theories before, but wow, are they clunky. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, as an employee, you come in and, okay, I'm a new employee. I'm the CEO. What should I have mm-hmm. access to? Uh, well, should I have access to everything? Probably not. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of stuff I never need to see. Like there, like why would I ever have access to a like a da- like a data center? I don't do anything in the data center except for visit, and for that I could actually be walked in yeah. by someone so, who stands can, with me and leads yeah. me out. Otherwise, my badge should just never open that door. So it reminds me. Um, it reminds me years years ago we we talked about you know, from when it was kind of really the boom of virtualization side, and we went from. Uh, persistent, you know, machines to non-persistent machines, which then you had, you know, and the way I see from right. a virtual, you know, from a privileged perspective, and zero trust, and and I, I wrote the book of the least privileged cybersecurity for dummies, which has been a great yeah. book. Uh, for me, it was yeah. about moving from persistent privilege to non-persistent zero privilege, yeah. zero standing privilege, where you do yeah. just on time, Absolutely. on demand. Um, well, and that way, if you steal yeah. my account for some reason, you trick me into giving you my yeah. password. You don't get access to all the things nope. that I have. You might get access to the basic stuff, Correct. but the really important things, I, I only get access. I only get privileged for that, mm-hmm. or I only get authorization for it at that time and in certain circumstances. And I think that kind of environmental, mm-hmm. that, again, that that again, more deeper, deeper embracing of least privilege. Yep. Um, you know, I think that's that's going to be the maturity curve that people go down. Yep. Uh, you might stop. You start with sort of okay. Let's do two-factor, which is kind of table stage which, now. Which is which is what it's the whole point. I think is that you 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 yeah. implement security controls that have zero trust enablers. That's yeah. really what we're thinking about. That's that's kind of when you think about you know putting in a process or policy in place. It's about things that help you put those controls that give you enable a zero trust posture on that specific challenge. 
And this I was think your- what's difficult about it though, Joe, yeah. is uh, every vendor in the security space <laughs> has named their product Zero Trust something. Yeah, and it's, it's because all of the surveys tell us that you know not seventy to eighty percent of companies have budget mm-hmm. for it, and the education about what it is is so spotty yeah. uh, that you know companies and executives that are you know focused on manufacturing or focused mm-hmm. on building cars or focused on they don't they don't they're not going to educate themselves on zero trust, and so they're they're looking for check boxes, they're looking for yeah. sort of. It, it, they just want to, I, I want to make sure I do zero trust. Okay. Zero mm-hmm. trust is the, the law the of the man, land. The of zero trust. Make sure I buy some of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so for the audience, for the audience listening in this, you know, I definitely recommend if you go back a few episodes to episode yeah. 39 and listen to the zero trust fundamentals with, uh, with Dave Lewis, it was, yeah. it was a really fun episode. Yeah, I definitely recommend to go back and listen to that one. One thing I've got, the last thing before we kind of finish up and uh, do summary is you know, what's your thoughts around cryptocurrencies uh, side of things? Um, I have a prediction that we're going to see regulation in the near future because um, yeah. you know we're also seeing the EU coming up with the you know EU digital currency as well. Um, it's really you know, I, I believe that you know cryptocurrencies will be the future, but yeah, you have to have some type of regulatory kind of controls over them. Um, so what's, okay, what's think, your thoughts around that? I think governments are running scared from cryptocurrencies at the yeah. moment because you lose control of your monetary policy. And, yeah. and so it is inevitable that we are going to see regulatory uh, pressure mm-hmm. um, because uh Governments are losing their "quote unquote" financial sovereignty yep. based on the the rise of this and the fact that uh, you can transact a lot of it. And so, mm-hmm. I think uh, we're in for a bit of a rocky uh, mm-hmm. road in that. I think they are inevitable, um, yep. and and it's I what I what I personally love about them is that it's a great equalizer across and to not have to do mm-hmm. translation when I'm in France or in Estonia or yep. the U.S. or Denmark or all these places that have different currencies, um, like being able to uh, standardize on that, again, mm-hmm. makes the world uh, you know, m- more connected. Yep. Um, and I think, that's, uh, I think that's a very positive thing, um, but it's, I know it scares the heck out of individual exactly. governments that are gonna lose sovereignty over their own monetary policy. And so I think there's, there's a lot more uh, there's going to be a lot more regulatory pressure. I think it's inevitable that it will mm-hmm. be regulated at some point. Uh, what I would hate to see is, you know, government-owned currencies like the yeah. EU digital currency. I think that will uh, not be awesome. That we already have that. It's called a euro, and it's I, called a for dollar. me. For me, uh, you know, when I travel, the currency I don't have to handle cash anymore. I haven't had to handle cash in years. I've already yeah. already have it in my pocket. So uh, what's yeah. the difference other than anonymous uh, transactions? It's, it's anonymous. I mean, I think that also has its downfall mm-hmm. um, because it can be there. There's it's it's it, there's a there's a bunch of other challenges that come with that. But mm-hmm. I also I think the reality is I've been using digital currency. I would prefer to pay with my phone or my watch uh, or my credit card. Uh, I, I do mm-hmm. carry cash, but literally I take it out. I put one hundred dollars in my wallet and it sits there forever 
and so it's uh, especially now with COVID, where all the restaurants are, and, and locations are going cashless. They don't even want to touch your money. Uh, <laughs> it's, a health, it's a health risk these days. <laughs> it's a health risk now, apparently. Um, and so you know, digital currencies mm-hmm. can save us from COVID, apparently. So I, I think, look, we're going to, I think it's going to, I think it's inevitable. I think mm-hmm. regulatory pressure is uh, inevitable. Um, and, and so we just need to uh, move to em- embrace it. Um, and it's, you know, it's it's the one, the digital currencies that back something mm-hmm. meaningful, like Helium or yeah. uh, Ethereum, they, 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 they back something actually meaningful. I think that is. There's uh, a tangible asset uh, kind of value there. Yeah, there's um, a tangible just, good yeah, that it's yeah. creating, and yeah. I think that those kinds of you know, it's it's better than some of these meme coin mm-hmm. kinds of things that are just silliness, yeah. um, speculative silliness. But I, I think guess I guess we're going to leave it. NFTs to another conversation then. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah. But it's it's been art. It's been a pleasure having you on. Any 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 final thoughts you would like to share with the audience um, before we kind of wrap it up today? And uh, you yeah. know, any thoughts you would like to share? Yeah, I mean, I think, look, uh, thank you, Juan, for, for having me on, Joe. I think it's really, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I always uh, I always enjoy it. Uh, I think the conversations are smart and interesting. So thank you for that. It's been a pleasure. Um, and, and look, as, as, as we go off into uh, the, this, next, uh, this next sort of uh, phase of, of work, um, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with uh, not only the, the cyber crime part mm-hmm. of it and the fact that we're sort of just digital and out there now and interacting uh, across boundaries with really no perimeters around us, yeah. Um, yeah. which I think drives more value for, for the kinds of technologies that focus on identity and information security. Um, but I also think just the, the, the cultural aspect of not mm-hmm. being together in offices and how we change the way that we build relationships at work I think is going to be significant. I mean, forget the whole security part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, That piece at the beginning talking about how do you build culture when new people come in? How do you build that that company connection uh, is going to be radically different. How do we change the way we recognize skill and delivery and provide promotions? Uh, Because it really goes counter to human nature where you kind of create a tribe, you know those Mm -hmm. people, you promote the people you know that execute well. And there's a level of trust. I think there's a whole bunch of new management skill sets that need to be learned uh, because of COVID and because of the Absolutely. way we're working now, um, which I think is kind of a, a new horizon for us as well. So. Absolutely. I'm excited for the future ahead. So it's uh, definitely it's, it's an exciting time uh, for sure. It's an exciting uh, time and there's yeah. lots of learning. To- so. Absolutely. So, Art, it's been a pleasure. Hopefully, you know, this won't be the last time you'll on, uh, be on the show. Uh, hopefully I would we'll be, be happy on to again come back, Joe. Thank in you. The future. So, for the audience, again, many thanks for staying with us throughout this episode. Uh, right, you know, we're really taking just a look back on the last year, uh, what's changed, what's been happening, and just giving you a little bit of uh, outlook on some of the predictions and where we see some of the trends going. So, Art, it's been fantastic. Thank you for uh, joining me on the show. And uh, for the audience, you know, tune in every two weeks, uh, subscribe, go back and listen to previous episodes. I definitely recommend uh, the Zero Trust Fundamentals. That was definitely a fun one. Uh, Stay safe, and I will see you soon and speak to you soon. All the best. Cheers, everyone. Learn how your team can get a free trial of Cybrary for Business by going to www.cybrary.it slash business. This podcast is also brought to you by Thycotic, the leader in privileged access management. To learn more, visit www.thycotic.com.